0: Hey everybody, this is Vesna Luka and you are listening to Summa & Friends, the show for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. And on the show today, Rainer Indal, founder and managing partner of Summa Equity, a private equity firm created in 2016 to invest in companies to solve global challenges. So Renu, I'm so happy that you invited me to co-create with you and to host this podcast. I think it's going to be really valuable and meaningful.
1: Yeah, I look forward to that and also to talking to some of the thought leaders in the field who are really part of, of changing the world as we see it.
0: We say that Suma and Friends is a podcast for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. So let's start by unpacking that. So what is your why for this uh, podcast? Like, who is it for and what is it for?
1: It's really for everyone, because I do think we are all, and I've been through this journey, been all been grappling with these large issues that are existential issues uh, for us and goes to the heart of humanity and what we are and, uh, and what we want. and uh, And that is threatened on so many levels. So uh, what I would like us to do is really have a podcast so everyone can listen into that. These problems are possible to solve. We can all do it. We all need to do our part of it. And it's not an easy problem. It's, uh, we'll come back to it, but uh, it's a wicked problem. And a wicked problem means that all of us have to contribute in some way or form, and then it can be solved. So it's really for everyone.
0: So let's go back to year 2016, when you uh, started Sum Equity. Why did you start it?
1: Well, then you actually have to roll back the clock further to, to 2009, so so seven years uh, before. So I think the financial crisis came as a surprise to me. So I, I did my undergraduate in, in business at Wharton. I did my MBA at Harvard, worked for a McKinsey company as a consultancy. So I thought, you know, I, I would have had the education and the understanding to see that the financial crisis was coming. And it was as a surprise to me as it was to see everyone else in in, in our industry and uh, economists. So I started to really dig into why did the financial crisis come? And why didn't I see it coming and very few see it coming? And I got increasingly concerned about the blind spots we have, how debt has been fueling our growth, how we are very much then dependent on growth uh, due to that and also how this is causing significant externalities. So our system is really destroying the planet, uh, driving for growth. So the uh, f- financial growth is what you're trying to optimize for, but the planet is being destroyed and, and also debt and our system is creating inequalities. So in uh, in the aftermath of the financial crisis, Piketty came out with his book on, on social inequalities, numerous books on, uh, on climate change. So I started reading all of this and digging in and so that these are not separate problems. This is one linked problem. And we also had a political landscape getting more and more polarized, and we were not dealing with these issues in the right way. So I became increasingly concerned about where the world was heading, looked myself in the mirror, and asked myself if I was part of the problem or part of the solution. And I was sitting there in a private equity with a portfolio That was as much uh, part of the problem as part of the solution, it was both. And uh, I had been agnostic to these issues, really just trying to get financial return for our investors. So I decided that I was going to leave the private equity industry, started working with philanthropy and impact investing. It was through that work where I really saw that there are so many great solutions out there and companies that should be funded and scaled up. And if you look at uh, how they were performing, they were actually doing great. It was this whole notion this time that there's a trade-off. If you try to optimize for the planet or socially, then financially it must be a poor thing to do. But I didn't see that in in the data and and the companies uh, that I was working a bit with. So I read also a great book by Albert Hishman called Exit Voice Loyalty. Because I had really taken an exit from the system in order to, because I couldn't be loyal to it, g- seeing the problems we were creating, and rather working with uh, how to solve some of these issues on philanthropy and impact investing. But uh, Hishman also introduced the notion of being a voice. So why not be uh, in the system and uh, and also show a better way? And I was say, seeing that this makes financial sense as well. So that's why I decided to to start uh, Summa where where we took ESG and sustainability seriously and at the core of what we were doing and then showing that this was actually a better way of uh, of investing and solving these problems and hence also being able to be a voice in our industry alerting everyone to that you know it is changing with these challenges things are changing now
0: you are using ESG to create more uh, value and less risk i know you call that private equity 4.0 so w- what would you say is like the best, best proof to the world right now that ESG is the better way to create value?
1: Well, in the end, it's, it's going to be on the, on the output. So both that the companies that we invest in, that they actually have a positive impact on the world, either environmentally or socially, and that these uh, companies perform financially and deliver uh, superior returns to our investors and show that these are collinear, not a trade-off like the notion has been before. And we have written an article in Journal of Applied Corporate Finance about private equity 4.0 and using ESG to drive value and reduce risk. So the question is, what is the 1.0 up until 4.0? So our industry, the private equity industry, started in the 80s. It was the barbarians at the gates, as it was called. So these um, few firms like AKR and others who were buying large conglomerates taking them private from the public market, breaking them up, putting a lot of debt on them, incentivizing management to, to drive that value. And that was hugely successful. But then everyone started to do it and there wasn't that many conglomerates left. So in the 90s, they were starting to more and more focus on what do you do with these companies that you own? How can you drive the margin improvements? Uh, it was also when there uh, was a lot of focus on Kanban, Toyota production system coming from uh, Japan, how can you systemize in order to improve margins, lower costs, but also drive effectiveness in the company. So private equity firms started to add operating partners. So this was the 2.0 version. Then some of the firms started to be large and compete with industrial buyers. So they had to understand the industries they were operating and also getting synergies across their uh, portfolio companies in a better way in order to compete with the uh, buyers that had strategic uh, synergies with the target companies you were buying. So then you saw a lot of the firms get global, large industry teams and becoming more institutionalized. So that's the 3.0 turning the century. So in all these periods it didn't matter what kind of impact a company had or whether they had sustainability built into what they were doing. They only cared about the bottom line. So how could they drive the financial bottom line performance? Regulation was seen as a as a hassle. You shouldn't pay too much tax and you should lower the cost and improve so everything that was sort of increasing the cost base um, wasn't good unless you were in tobacco or or weaponry or something investors started to care about you know that that is not good impact to have but it was sort of very very minimal so when i started summa in 2016 or even before that through my journey said this is going to fundamentally change because now we have some large existential crisis people do care about it. So if you're an employee and it's choosing a job, you want a job where you feel, as I felt, I want to be part of the solution, not the problem, right? And now in a knowledge society that we are, people can choose their jobs. If investors, they're going to you know, see these things, that climate change is going to have a real risk to, to the businesses. And so if you want to be future-proof, you need to have growth prospects uh, for a long time and uh, investors starting to factor in at some point, there's going to be a carbon tax or some financial with these externalities will have to be internal. The costs have to be borne by the companies. So that, mo- that was my, my view. These things are going to have a material impact. If you want to have the best employees, if you're going to raise capital, if you're going to grow the value of the company, sustainability and ESG has to really be, uh, be at the core. So... What we did when we set up Summa was we have three thematic areas that we invest in. It's called uh, resource efficiency, changing demographics, and tech-enabled transformation. We were the first fund to commit to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So all of our investments have been screened, and we also link these SDGs on how we drive uh, the strategy and the performance uh, in the companies. If you look at the three uh, themes, you can dock all of the SDGs into it, because our companies are either solving an environmental problem or addressing social issues, or just providing better uh, governance through uh, productivity, transparency, regulatory improvements. There was a long answer to, 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 to your questions, but the way we go about this is that we try to select the companies that are, can really be a leader in the transformation, either environmentally or socially or through better governance. And that's in their growth agenda. If we can accelerate that and scale that up and also improve how much positive externalities or impact they're providing to society. That's a success for us.
0: The rest of the finance world is is beginning to catch up. And I know that you're actually very relieved that you are now surrounded by other private equity companies that are funding businesses who are also seeking solutions to global change. So are, are you happy with the pace that you see?
1: The pace has actually been faster than I expected. So starting up in 2016, we felt pretty alone. And there was a lot of investors that were skeptical of the private equity firms that saw us as a bit of, yeah, cute and interesting, but not very sort of relevant. And that has uh, changed very, very quickly. And, and I do think all uh, private equity firms here in the Nordic are addressing this topic in some way or form. So I'm actually positively surprised about uh, the pace of change.
0: And how much do you manage to like share, you know, the formulas and, and the concepts that you believe in for for growing companies?
1: So we are quite open. and There's also a small industries, so we have uh, quite a lot of dialogues with with other firms as well. And this isn't that difficult. The way we go about it is, you know, target companies that actually provide positive externalities and that we can help scale up. So. Private equity in all of these phases have been focused on on, on driving growth and performance in the companies. So the only thing that we're adding and putting into it, let's choose companies that have a a good position in solving this challenge, whether that's our waste problem, for example, and then put that in as one of the metrics into uh, the strategy and and what we're going to keep them accountable for. What are you going to do with that waste? Are you going to increase the recycling rate, for example? So, this is uh, we're not doing a lot of things differently from other private equity firms. It's just what lens we're using and then putting sustainability into driving uh, the strategy and and the operations in the company. So, it's, it's not that difficult.
0: You make it sound easy, (laughs) but Rainier, is it challenging to to find companies to invest in with the right kind of mindset and also with this kind of clear purpose of solving an
1: issue? It really depends where you start. So what you need to do is to formulate quite, that is a bit hard and uh, we have to spend a little bit time on it. First of all, I mean, we always start with what's the challenge we want to solve. So take the waste problem. So what, what are you going to look for if you want to solve the waste problem? Well, then you need to have some kind of hypothesis of what the solution looks like. And that solution, you have to think 10, 20, 30 years ahead. So if you're going to a net zero and a circular economy, what, what is waste going to look like? Uh, there, there shouldn't be any waste at that point. Mm-hmm. So you also have to start with this problem, then start with what's the future you want to see? And then uh, the expectation that that's what we're going to end up if we solve these challenges. And we have to solve these challenges. What's well, so in between there is the theory of change. So then you have to define what's the path from here to that future. That's what we do. And that's what guides what are we looking for. And then actually uh, you see that this is a wicked problem where there's, there's not one solution to this problem. A wicked problem is an inconsistent in uh, problem that is changing where a lot of different constituencies have to do their part in order for there to be a solution. So waste, so waste, you know, some produce waste, there's waste happening along the way. There are industrial players, you have waste management players, you have regulation who sets the standard for what you can do and not do. You have the consumers who are either buying or selling or, or or creating their own waste. So there is multiple parties. To this wicked problem, so your three area of change has to then factor into what are all these constituencies going to do, and then what we are doing is then looking for. Uh, you know, we have, uh, for example, Noske Energi, and Meningen, we had Sortera in the waste industry in in the Nordic. And then that you know then we set the strategy of what we are going to accomplish during our ownership in that, but it also means partnering up with industrial companies to make more circular value chains. it's part of it is influencing the regulators, so you make a level playing field between uh, the waste players. There should be a carbon tax. I mean one ton of waste today creates one ton of co two when you go to incineration and then uh, we need to to work also on on how can we use. Our voice and being the largest uh, waste management player in Norway, for example, through Norsk Genvning, how can we influence consumers to do their part of it as well? So it is the easy part then is to find some companies and some building blocks. But it's a system thinking. There's a system level change that you need to make. So how you go about doing it is a little, more, a little bit more tricky.
0: I think one component in how you go about doing it is also how you build trust. How, how do you build trust with your team and especially with the people leading the companies you invest in?
1: So I think one part of it is that we are genuine and real about being purpose-driven. So everyone needs to feel that, you know, that is really at the core of what Summa is doing and what we are about. And then uh, we are very much embedded in the philosophy of co-creation and creating win-wins. So, which means that we don't show up as owners. as probably is more typical since uh, private equity, we do own it, we have majority control of the company. So, we are the owners. So, we can either show up and say that, you know, uh, we are the owners and we have decided that you should ex- do X, Y, Z. Now you go and do it. We take a different approach to it. So it's really about the co-creation process. So if it is a wicked problem and it's not sort of a very, very easy path to get there, and that path can change along the way because we, we are creating a new path that isn't. So we're taking the, the, the road less traveled and trying to make it a highway with our companies. So I think that is uh, also the second part of it is that they have to feel that we are partners in this and we are co-creating this. We are listening as much to them and to others as we are showing up as owners, uh, instructing them on what the decisions are.
0: And what do you think is like the biggest challenge right now? What what feels hard?
1: I'm actually hugely optimistic. While well, going through you know my journey and seeing all the problems uh, before starting Summa, I, I became pretty depressed about where the world was heading. I'm less depressed now because I do see quite a lot of unique solutions. And I, I'm very optimistic that we are actually going to find ways of, of, of tackling climate change and uh, lowering uh, our carbon footprint and even removing some of the CO2 that we put out there. So what I think is is, is more difficult is, is really that we have uh, some resource scarcity if you look globally, and, uh, and we're not able to cooperate that, that well as we see now in, in several instances. We have also destroyed quite large of, of uh, part of the number of sp- species over the last 40 years. That's hard to recreate something that you have eliminated. And I do see social inequality continuing to rise. So I, I, I'm optimistic that we'll solve our climate issues. I'm also optimistic we can solve some of these other issues, but they've sort of come in the backdrop of everything is focused on climate now. What I'm more worried about is, uh, is our biosystems and, uh, and the biological diversity and social inequality. I think th- these are major issues which uh, we, should, we also need to address in the same way that we're addressing climate change.
0: Mm. Just the other day, I met with Johan Rockström and he was, one of his main messages to the people at a, at a huge conference was really that we have eight more years before a tipping point or more tipping points, actually. And that's eight years is nothing, right? So, you know, looking at that wavelength that he sent out, people were worried, but hopeful because as you say, there were a lot of solutions and a lot of power and energy put into, into the solutions at this moment in time.
1: Yeah. So we, we probably have to adapt to climate change, but I do see that the level of innovation and how we're solving this is accelerating. So while we've been on a slow path of the last year, I do think it will really accelerate now going forward. Hmm. Might be too late to be on the one and a half scenario, but I'm optimistic that you know, we'll not get to the four degree scenario and there might be ways to mitigate this.
0: Hmm. I met so many people who carry a lot of grief around climate change lately. How do you hold your balance between uh, being engaged and uh, like accepting reality and also at the same time do your best?
1: Yeah. So I went through this phase where I also had sort of my grief and, uh, and this, this mm. problem just seemed so big and I was just uh, a small person and what you do then, but that's that sort of, uh, I put that behind me, I can, I can only influence what I can influence. So I went all in on uh, so what I do and see what, how can I act and influence in order to do my part. And I, I, I remember at that point, I, I decided I, on my tombstone, it will be at least I tried. <laughs> Now now I've changed that to more, something, you know, more optimistic one that, uh, you know, I was part of the solution or something, you know, they, we, we actually did it or uh, some more uh, optimistic one. But I, that was very important to me. I wanted to be on the right side of history. So at least I tried. I can do what, what I can do. If there's one message I want to get across, we can all make a change. This is a wicked problem. If all of us do our small little part, mm. this, this will be solved. And if it isn't solved, at least we tried. There's no alternative. We all uh, we all can do something.
0: Um, it's also time for all of us, I guess, to to not drop into that space of apathy or whatever, or or even you know looking at others who are doing it and so on. You say, okay, they have they have it under control. They're doing it over there. I don't have to because they are better than me at whatever. We can all do our little piece, right? What does the future you wish to see look like actually, let's say in 10 years?
1: So I think uh, if you go back to Adam Smith and, and what I've sort of been trained. So we all have tried through these different systems, whether you call that socialism or capitalism or all, any other of the isms, to create a world that is fair, that is equal, where we are a peaceful uh, community of, of humans. And I love nature, I'm born and raised up in uh, in Norway and in Northern Norway. My grandfather was a fisherman living off the ocean in Northern Norway. So nature is very important to me as well. And I spent quite a lot of time in Masai Mara and, and working on projects there to, to also save uh, the, the migration and, and improve that ecosystem. So nature is very important to me and a happy society and a peaceful society. So. So can we get there in 10 years? I think we have to to work hard to get there. I think that's what we all want. It's a a peaceful society. The absence of conflicts where we also take care of of the weak. And uh, one of the weakest part right now is nature, which we are destroying. So so we uh, we are the stewards of this planet. We are the species that is now really part of destroying the planet that uh, enabled us to be here and that we are dependent on, and we had to take that role that we have had and change that, so we're not destroying, but we're actually making uh, society flourish and nature flourish.
0: Yeah, and to view, view nature as our extended family,
1: it is. Yeah, and we're just one part of it, but we sort of um, hijacked the rest of the system.
0: Yeah. And what's your biggest hope? You know, what, what feels great?
1: So I think what has really been, so this is then we're all over in philosophy because I think it's sort of the, uh, our focus on ourselves. So it's the me, 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 which is creating uh, and a system based on me, which is also driving uh, the growth. If we had a system based on we instead of me, that would fundamentally change. So my biggest hope is that, I mean, this is in uh, our, in in, in all of the old philosophies and religions is, you know, love, love your neighbor, do to others what you want them to do to yourself. And in, in game theory, as an economist, you know, in game theory, that's about creating win-win. It's really a better way of doing it than a win-lose. So we have been living too long in a win-lose. I win. And uh, it's about me. If we could change to it's about we and it's about taking care of your neighbor, it's about taking care of nature and the weak and we optimize for the common good, which means that I'm also going to win. I might win a little bit less than if it was only caring about me. But uh, if I only care about me, it's going to create a lot of losers. And now we are destroying our planet and creating social unrest and inequality. So my biggest hope is just that, you know, we will uh, learn from the old, uh, philosophies of it's about we.
0: But how do you see your future? Where do you see yourself fit into this coming transformation?
1: Well, I think it's a continuum of what we started with in, in Summa. So we were starting out as a small Nordic private equity firm. We could buy some companies here in the Nordic where there's a lot of excellent, fantastic companies. And I think Scandinavia is ahead of on on several topics, uh, other parts of the world. But why I think now we have uh, raised our fund uh, three, which is uh, over 2 billion euros. So suddenly we become sort of a large, we have have now created offices outside the Nordic um, and we have started uh, increasing to focus on that these are global challenges, not only Nordic challenges, and there are solutions outside the Nordic as well. So for me, I just want to continue to learn about the solutions. I, uh, I think it's, it's uh, I get so optimistic. I'm so fascinated by, by all the entrepreneurs and the innovation, which seems to be going now all in the direction of, of trying to find solutions for our planet. So if I can be part of continuing to, sc- uh, to scale up those solutions, that's what I want to continue doing. <laughs> And we have now moved us in Summa from being, uh, focusing on the Nordic and, and smaller to now being able to not solve all of the challenges, but at least we can pick one or two or three challenges that we can have a meaningful uh, influence on and a meaningful impact on. So that's what I want to do.
0: Is there any innovation or something that you've stumbled upon uh, lately that has like blown your mind that you didn't even know existed you want to share?
1: So I think uh, one part, uh, so I've been working a lot with the waste problem as a wicked problem. And there's a lot of technical solutions now which can really help us sort better how to do real material recycling. And then uh, a lot of the waste, which is mixed waste and has a low value and it's hard to to sort and there's nothing you can really do with it, uh, uh, goes to incineration today. The problem with incineration, as I mentioned earlier, is that it creates as much CO2 per tonne as the tonne you put in. So it's a really, really poor form of, of uh, so it's not really recycling and, and, and there's not much energy coming out of it. I've seen several technologies now that can transform that with 100% carbon capture. So we can make what's now truly waste to really be, be, become part of the energy grid. And with full carbon capture, it can replace coal. I think if you look at uh, how much waste we have that goes to incineration Mm -hmm. and the likely output we can get from that with carbon capture, a lot of uh, what we use coal for today can be changed into waste with 100% carbon capture. So that is one uh, technology that I'm (laughs) very, very excited about. Uh, Also looked uh, into new forms of producing energy, energy storage. So I do think on the energy side, we will transform much faster. And I think uh, sol- solar and, and wind is going to be a key part of it, but there are other technologies, fusion energy, waste to energy, that can be a much more substantial part of, um, of this energy transformation than uh, what we have forecasted today.
0: So what Nikola Tesla said uh, many, many years ago, looking for uh, ways to deliver free energy could be a possibility.
1: Yeah. I think so.
0: Given everything you've done so far, what is your most important belief that you carry with
1: you as your piece of truth? So it's really that my job and my role as a human being is to make others flourish. So I try to take that into all my, uh, my, my relationships when I work with companies, colleagues, you know, if I can make others flourish, uh, then uh, that is, uh, gives me meaning and it uh, provides uh, it helps others and it helps the world. So um, so this creating this win-win is is a central thesis.
0: Is it do you think a result of your life so far that has given you this kind of piece of truth to live by, or is it something that you've always known like deep down, that has been guided you for ages?
1: I think parts of it comes from my, my upbringing in Northern Norway, my father being a doctor, we living in small communities where he was serving the community as a doctor. And then also my, my grandfather and family being fishermen living off the ocean, but not taking more than, than you should take. And it's a, you have to live in symbiosis with, uh, with, with nature. So I think parts of it is, um, is that. And then if you look at sort of being an economist, studied that uh, game theory. I mean, we have, we have shown that creating win-win is optimizing better for totality. So I think it's a, it's a multiple level. And also, you know, growing up as a Christian and, and that philosophy, although I've been through the, some of those struggles, and then really, you know, reading a lot about philosophy it comes back to that this is, uh, this is important in order to create a prosperous uh, community and society.
0: What is the one thing the world needs most right now?
1: I think there, there's two things, but they're really the same. So starting with the second thing is that we all do need to do our part. So we can all, everyone that's listening to this can do something uh, within their power or influence in order to be part of the solution. And the first thing I would say, and they, these two are the same thing, is that we need leaders. We need people to show the way, to inspire others, and uh, also get other people to walk the road, uh, road less traveled. So uh, it is walking that new path. It is inspiring others to come along. It's to make that, that small road uh, into a larger road and then, then a highway. So leadership is, uh, is very important and that's what the world needs.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, leadership and and this kind of new narrative, you need to feed people with a lot of uh, hope and energy, but that it feels really doable and we can do it together.
1: Yeah, and if we all think, so I, I try to think through that in everything I do. If I do this and if I make this sort of decision, who who will be worse off due to that? Mm-hmm. Who will lose? Will nature lose? Other people lose. Is it, you know, in the value chain, poor people are going to be worse off because our value chain looks like this. So if we just think win-win in everything we do and reflect around who will lose if I do this, if I buy this, if I, if I do this, then uh, it's, it's a good guidance mm. for making choices. If we, if we optimize for a win-win, there should be no losers. We should all be winners.
0: Mm. Fantastic. It's the power of kindness. Indeed. Okay, Rainer, thank you so, so much for this. Uh, thanks for sharing everything.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's an engaging discussion and, and an important one. And I look forward to, to us having that discussion with a lot of people who've taken leadership and, and have reflections on how to, how to create this, uh, this new road ahead.
0: And we'll be back uh, very soon with people from the investment industry, but also people uh, unpacking all these wicked problems from different sectors. This is Summa and Friends, the show that inspires and guides you on how we together can create a wiser future. Listen to unique leaders and experts exploring the challenges we are facing and revealing their stories about the solutions and how to get there. Episodes are released bi-weekly on your favorite podcast platform. And the week after, we release an in-depth blog article to help you capture the core ideas from the dialogues and how you can help move things forward. Summa and Friends is a podcast for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. To find out more, you will find links and show notes on summaequity.com podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to the show we hope it has inspired you to reflect on what you can do to contribute. And to make it easy for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. I'm Vesna Luca, and you've been listening to Summa and & Friends. And until next time, live with purpose and be the change you want to see.